Welcome to the second State of Marketing webinar with your friends at Applied Art here. Today we're going to be talking about a lot of different things, a lot of fun stuff, ways to stand out with your messaging, um, email newsletter frequency, a beginner's guide to your video conferencing and all that type of stuff as well, um, as well as just a live Q&A. So we want to really be as engaging and answer a lot of your questions live as we can. You guys are taking time out of your day to watch and listen, so we want to be responsive and help you guys out with that. Uh, today we are joined by our panel. Uh, we have George and Mark, who are our partners at Applied Art, and we also have Shannon, who is our business development manager as well. And then I'm Ryan. I'm in digital marketing, so we will be answering any of your questions that you have. So like I said, if you have um, questions in the chat, feel free to put those in there as well as Q&A as well, and I'll be moderating those and sending those to the proper folks. So uh, we'll get started with our first topic here, which was um, ways that you can connect with your messaging and how you can stand out. So Shannon, do you want to talk a little bit about that for everybody? Sure, thanks. Obviously, we're in some uh, pretty uncertain times, and one of the keys to any kind of communication, whether it's with an existing customer or a prospective client, is to communicate value and insights rather than just features and benefits. Um, it's really easy to just show up and talk about all that we have to offer as a company, but that really isn't what folks are looking for now. Our messages really, they have to resonate with what they're, they're experiencing in their personal life. They're interested in themselves, their business, their problems, their goals, their plans, their dreams, some are concerned about their jobs, and most are concerned about their family safety. So they're also interested in what's going on in the economy and the outside world. So industry trends, um, whatever's happening and whatever vertical you might be targeting is important to them. They care about whatever threats they might soon face. Um, they're interested in maybe unanticipated opportunities. If you can be a resource for them by pointing out things that you've researched or learned or heard, they're going to want to know those kinds of things. They want truthful information that is compelling. Um, and that might surprise them. Um, anything that's applicable to their specific business is what they want you to communicate to them about. So rather than, and I've learned this lesson myself, rather than checking in to see how they're doing, Focus on the fascinating. So you kind of act as the, the CIA of their business, like you're watching out for what they might experience and you want to give them a heads up about that. Some cool ways to do this is to identify and clarify some uh, educational insights, anything that they might find compelling. Uh, they're more likely to meet with you and engage with you when the short-term pandemic is over if they feel like you've kind of been on their side and watching out for them during this difficult time. So intel equals insights. So any valuable information that you can provide to them um, is probably the email or the note that they're going to open. So rather than checking in, you might start with, you may not be aware of X and then lead into whatever industry trend is or what you've learned that their competition might be launching. It's necessary to make it personal and keep it relational, but it absolutely needs to be of value to them. They're not necessarily interested in what you can do for them as a, as a partner. I mean, I'm, I still send out a card that, that uh, outlines all of our capabilities. That's because when they, once the relationship is developed and I've been through this crisis with them, they may need our services and I want them to know that, but that's not what I talk about in, in my communication with them. Um, so the bottom line is to be genuine, surprise with some unexpected intel and insights that they maybe aren't taking the time to look for themselves um, and keep it meaningful. Um, treat them like a family member that you actually like I was going to say family, but not all families get to get, get along, so I'm not going to go there. Um, some channels that I've used that I know are effective, handwritten notes. I can't tell you how many times I've gotten a really um, appreciative email from somebody that I took the time to do a handwritten note. Emails are good. Texts, if you have access to those personal cell phone numbers. Phone calls. Voicemails aren't always answered, but if it's just a a good follow-up maybe, I would suggest that. And personalized video obviously works because people like face-to-face. -face. Uh, it makes the, the initial interaction a little more, a little deeper and really is a great way to start the relationship. 
For sure. Great insight. Absolutely. Um, one of the other things I know we're, like we said, um, talking about different things in the chat. So feel free to drop things in the chat, Q and A, like we said, we want to answer as many things um, as we can. So uh, George, maybe you want to talk a little bit about one of the questions we had last time was donations versus offers on your website. I know a lot of people are kind of curious if they should be selling or offering anything right now, if it's, you know, if it's uh, taken the wrong way from their audience and maybe we can talk a little bit more about that type of stuff. Yeah, um, actually there's some interesting things going on. Um, I think Shannon and Ryan both had some uh, interesting um, observations on that. Um, Ryan, you want to talk about the unique uh, thing you saw? Yeah, sure. So um, a lot of local businesses are finding kind of creative ways to um, drive revenue and just try and keep keep money coming through their business. And a local business that I saw actually was a local barber shop that was doing a uh, raffle. So they were doing a year's worth of free haircuts for a person. So up to 12, I think. So one every month. And they were doing raffles for that. So I think it was like $20 for a raffle ticket. And they were going to do a big drawing at the end of the month. And then they were also doing anybody that put in a raffle ticket got a massive discount on their merchandise as well. So again, it's just trying to keep their diehard um, customer base really engaged with their business and try and help them support their business without just asking for blatant donations or not having any cash flow. So there are just a lot of different unique ways that people can use um, their website or if they have merchandise or if they have service offerings that they can offer um, a raffle kind of approach to that. So that was one of the things that I'd seen recently that I thought was pretty interesting um, in terms of how people are doing that. So I saw a um, German travel company that uh, <clears throat> sent out a really nice um, email and they were talking, thanking everybody, um, thanking for those people that canceled their trips right away so they could cut their expenses. Uh, they offered some vouchers and they thanked people for doing that and thanked people uh, that rebooked and they were very honest. They said, you know, you're helping us stay in business wow. uh, by doing this and, uh, you know, we'll take good care of you and as soon as we can, we'll be back traveling again. And I thought that was really sincere and uh, I mean, the transparency was, was really nice. I think that, that uh, worked really well. Absolutely. And I think it's, it's interesting too, just how you can get your, like I said, your diehard customers or your people that are really engaged in your business and want to support you, the things they'd come to help you with, but it kind of adding value as well. Um, one of the things that we had in the last webinar, somebody was asking about, is it, is it overstepping to sell at this time? What, what are your thoughts on that, George? Um, I think I think it's okay to sell if you're just offering something that's that's a value. I don't know that um, you know people have uh, uh, a need of your services right now, and and that's fine. Um, uh, however, I don't think it's it's a time to be pushy right now. Understand people are you know their budgets are tightened back, and and really it's it's a long term play. You know, if they're, if they're, uh, if you engage and keep in contact, I think that's the thing. You want to keep the relationship going and you can quickly turn it off if you just push, sell, sell, sell. Um, and they'll figure out, um, they know what you do. And as long as you kind of keep top in mind and really provide them with useful information and things that uh, they can use, um, I think that's, uh, you know, they'll buy when they're ready. Absolutely. I think that's absolutely critical and has a lot to do with the communication because if you ask somebody, obviously we don't know how long this pandemic is going to last, but this is short term. This isn't going to be the rest of our lives. So, but what about a business's future and their long-term strategy? That's long-term. So I think we need to be thoughtful in our messaging as well that we don't focus on the short-term pandemic. We focus on the long-term strategy and that's why offering insights to the future growth and their goals and, and the business's purpose overall is what's critical. And that's what's going to really entrench that relationship for when our services might be of use to them. Absolutely. Well, and I think that's a good point, <clears throat> Shannon. One of the things we talked about just with um, uh, people's marketing in general is during this time, 
uh, what you really need to be doing is watching the data and making sure your ROI is, is high. You know, you're getting a positive ROI so you don't waste uh, the, any money at this, this right. point. Absolutely. Real quick, I wanted to say we do have a couple of Q&A questions coming in, but I also did publish a poll. So if you are attending, make sure to, to vote on that poll and we'll look at some of the results here. But we're, we asked this in the last webinar, but we're just curious on what your guys' approach for your business is doing with your marketing. So are you cutting budgets? Are you expanding to reach more people and really doubling down on your marketing efforts? Are you staying the same or are you unsure? So feel free to fill that in. We'll leave that poll open for a couple more minutes here so we can get everybody's input so we can kind of weigh in on that. But um, another question that we had in the Q&A tab here was um, if you really don't know what your business's unique value is, um, what is a good way to determine this from your customer's perspective? So um, I know, George, we always talk about value proposition a lot. Maybe you can give a little bit more um, talk about how to really know what your unique value proposition is and some ways that they can help determine that from the customer's perspective. Yeah, you know, it's amazing how many companies don't have a clear idea what their unique value they're giving to their customers is. And honestly, um, sometimes that's what you think may be your value proposition a lot of times isn't uh, to your customers. Uh, you know, when we talk to companies, they'll say, well, it's quality work and it's, you know, customer service. And uh, <clears throat> when and we had one case in, in particular, that's what they thought their value proposition was. Their, their customers thought they were just the lowest priced. And so there was a big disconnect in how they were gonna to talk to their customers. Um, you can try asking your customers, you should try to be in touch with your customers, but realize that they won't always tell you the truth. And partly one to be nice and partly uh, you have to sometimes drill down. Um, if you don't ask, you can't tell. The other thing you can do is you could do, you can, you can test some of your value proposition through uh, like strategic marketing, uh, you could craft a series of uh, messages, um, ads, as it were, and test which ones, uh, which messaging people resonated with. Um, there's several. There's a lot of interesting ways that you can uh, kind of test what your uh, your value proposition is. Um, it's not an easy thing, though. I, I I will say, if it was easy, everyone would know it off the top of their. Well, we've also done a couple of things where we facilitated workshops to meet with like a leadership team from the company to help the company identify what, what the internal value proposition is. Because sometimes the disconnect starts internally where you've got some folks believing that your value prop is X and employees on the floor think it's different. That sometimes that's a good place to start. But it usually, you, you can garner deeper learnings if you get a third party involved to talk to your customers on your behalf. Absolutely. So I'm going to end the poll for everybody here that weighed in. But interestingly enough, last time we had a lot of people, the majority of folks were staying the same with their spend. And right now we're kind of at an even split between folks that are cutting money or cutting their budgets to save money and then also expanding reach with more advertising dollars and putting more effort into trying to reach more people. So kind of an interesting breakdown from this week to week. And we'll continue to kind of just hear everybody's inputs because people are either retracting in or, or pushing back out. So interesting. I'll share those results so everybody can see them. Um, awesome. So we have a couple more questions here um, that I just answered one of them privately. So that's good. We can kind of keep moving here. Um, Do you want to uh, mention uh, what that question was, Ryan? I thought it was kind of interesting. Oh, sure. Yeah. The question was from Deb. She was asking if we, why we're wearing mics and if that's just a preference or if having headsets or earbuds is helpful at all. And I just said that it is definitely helpful for quality because then you have the mic right by your mouth compared to coming out of your computer and then it picks up all the ambient noise and everything. So having, having a mic is definitely helpful even if it is just an Apple earbuds, you don't have to have a really expensive headset if you don't have the money or time to get one, so. Well, and it also sort of having the earbuds in um, curtails the sound in your general environment. So you may have other people around um, so it, 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 you're not broadcasting out to a larger group around you. So your sound sphere is a little bit tighter. Um, and Absolutely. like you said, it's, it's better quality. For sure. 
Yeah, and, and I know that kind of bleeds into our next topic, Mark. We're going to talk a little bit about kind of our guide to video conferencing. So maybe you can give everybody the rundown if this is, you know, something that they're not used to, whether it's doing Zoom calls or hopping on video chat or doing webinars or any of that type of stuff. This is going to become a lot more mainstream as it is already now with Zoom. I think, what is it, 20xing their, their user base in like the last two weeks or something like that. So maybe give some folks some, some of the benefits of doing it and then also which apps do we recommend and why, whether it's Zoom or GoToMeeting or some of the other ones out there? Yeah, so there, there's a number of different things. Obviously the benefit is connection. Um, I think the, the biggest benefit is that you connect, um, you see people. Um, so with the video side of the chat, um, it, it allows that, even though we can't be face-to-face, -face, it allows that sort of face-to-face -face communication. Um, it makes for a greater uh, collaboration amongst groups. So, and it, you know, it kind of depends on if you're doing it an internal to an external. Um, internally, we do, uh, we, we have done uh, go to meetings, um, Zoom meetings quite a bit in the past. Um, what we're doing now is we are all doing a Zoom or go to meeting uh, for all of our internal meetings. Um, so, small group, large group, full company. Um, it, it, makes, it, it makes it very good. So we're all touching in. We all have uh, communication with each other. We know what each other's doing. We know what each other's needs are so that it, it, we maintain a communication. Um, from an external perspective, um, I do a lot of calls and it depends on the service. Um, usually depends on the company that I'm working with, what the, the, the preferred service is. Um, but uh, meetings about projects, you can you get everybody on the same page quicker, easier. Um, you don't have to get everybody in the same room. Um, we can all be virtually there. Um, the uh, other thing is, is doing a sales presentation. Um, again, uh, I work with a lot of people that are geographically dispersed from central Iowa. So I would not necessarily be able to meet those people all the time, um, but allows us to walk people through our, our, our estimate or our proposal and talk about pros, cons, benefits, why we chose the, to uh, formulate the estimate or proposal the way we did, get their immediate feedback as opposed to um, waiting, to just sending an estimate, waiting for them to, to come back to us. Um, it, it allows us to feel a little bit more connected with the client. Um, I think it, it helps, it always helps I think when presenting in a sales proposal or presentation, because it allows you to immediately uh, address some of the questions that may come from it. Um, and it, it shows your perspective. Um, we tell them why we chose these things. And, and a lot of times that is very difficult to get across in a printed or written form. Um, so, uh, in regards to uh, other things that you can use, uh, the, video conferencing or webinars for is uh, remote diagnostics. We're seeing a lot more telehealth, especially now, you know, everyone is, is requested to contact their provider before they would go to, to that provider or to the hospital. Um, and so you can get a lot of things done that way. There are diagnostic tools now that they can use um, to help with that. Um, and we do a lot of this for equipment or hardware troubleshooting. Um, since we do a lot of interactive work and our stuff is in museums around the U.S., um, sometimes it's just not practical for us to, to be there. Um, and being able to take your phone and see what they're seeing and then go through your troubleshooting, troubleshooting steps and actually seeing it is very beneficial um, for us. Um, and then another good use is a design review. Um, so whether you're developing software, hardware, or marketing, um, go through all of the process um, with your provider, um, with your team, um, both internal and external audiences. It, it works very well for that. Um, there are a lot of platforms available. Um, we choose uh, to use mainly Zoom and GoToMeeting. Um, and the reason we choose these is we tend to have, or the reason we have the two as our, um, our, our main ones 
Zoom allows you to play video and audio from the computer. So I could push a video to you guys and you would be able to hear the audio where GoToMeeting doesn't have that functionality. And so us, um, we produce a fair amount of video work so and animation. So being able to present that, walk people through it, talk people through it, and for them to hear the audio is extremely important for us. So that's why we choose Zoom. Um, GoToMeeting, uh, it's, it's just another platform. It was the first platform that we used. We still have a lot of our meetings set up in it. Um, you know, we're a company of 16, 17 people. Um, and, and we are sometimes, every one of our uh, licenses for Zoom and GoToMeeting are being used. Um, so it, it's just A, another platform, and B, the, uh, uh, what is the best usage, what are you trying to do and what is the best software for that? Um, there's a number of other, probably the top ones are Microsoft Teams. Um, Teams is included in the um, Office 365. So if you have Office 365, you have Teams included. Um, then there's uh, Google Hangouts. So if you have the G Suite business um, suite, it's included in that. Um, so there's another, you know, a number of these are available with software applications that you may already have. Um, and then there's probably the next big one is the WebEx. Um, and that I tend to have a lot of the companies that we work with, large companies tend to use WebEx. Um, but again, for us, the reason we don't use it is, is GoToMeeting was a better fit for us at the beginning, and then Zoom because of the ability to play video and audio. Um, so you just have to sort of look at what you have. If you have software applications, especially like G Suite or um, the um, Microsoft uh, Office 365, those are included in that. So you know those, that's a good choice because you already are paying for that software. Um, then there's sort of the technical side of it. Uh, what do you need? Well, it depends on what you want to do. If you, if, if you want to share video, you obviously need to have a camera um, so that you can put that. Most laptops anymore have cameras built in, um, so that's not necessarily an issue. Um, you alluded to earlier why we have headsets, um, just because it makes the audio a little bit better. I think it makes um, the presentation better it, it, it's a little bit because you know they move so it's a little bit can be sometimes distracting one of the things that I use for some meetings is I have a wireless headset that's a Bluetooth headset um, it also has a microphone into it these are noise canceling so if I'm in an environment um, or if, if activity there's a fair amount of activity around me I want to drown that out these tend to allow a little bit more of the ambient sound around you in so if you want to focus completely, I tend to use a Bluetooth headset that has the um, noise canceling. And George has a wired headset um, with a microphone. So, you know, again, that it's, it's gives him a little bit more. <laughs> uh, it, it, it gives him a little bit better audio quality to his ears. Um, and with the mic boom coming down closer to his mouth, he gets a little bit better audio level than, than us. Um, you don't wear those noise canceling headphones at home much, do you, Mark? Sometimes, because sometimes <laughs> our dogs can the be dogs bark. a little rambunctious. <laughs> um, but then the mic, you, they pick it up, but it's, it's just the background noise. Um, I've been at uh, events where I have to have an a, a online meeting like this, and so I'll use those at that because it just brings down all the, the ambient audio. Uh, probably the, one of the bigger things that we're going to hear more and more about is security. Um, how, how secure are these things? Well, you know, we alluded to, I think, in our last call or last webinar um, that if it's software and it's, it's someone wants into it, the likelihood of them being able to, to hack in is going to be pretty high. I know all of the companies are working very hard at, at securing that or beefing up their security. Um, a couple of things that I think are good um, best practices maybe is a way to put it is uh, if you're doing one, for example, for this one, because we, we are pushing out, it's not a private meeting, um, 
We allow people to come in, um, but we are doing it in a webinar format so that we can control um, audio and video. So we could allow someone, one of the participants or attendees um, to have access, you know, to, to use their mic to, to go to the audience, but we have control of that. Um, and the other thing, so having waiting rooms, that way you can know who's in your waiting room. You can admit them into your meeting um, so that you know exactly who's there. Um, that tends to be a good best practice. Um, make sure that the password protection is enabled. Uh, that was one of the big things. That's why Zoom was having challenges is that was not, it was a part of their settings, but it wasn't enacted or made available or excuse me, it wasn't turned on um, so that you had to have a password to, to get into a meeting. Um, so they've changed that. Um, and so now that is the default setting. So you have to have the password to get into a meeting. Um, Invite attendees from the uh, conferencing software um, is if, again, if you're trying to maintain the highest level of security that you can do, you invite them from the software. That way they have to be registered with the software to be able to be entered into your meeting. Um, you can also have a default setting where the host, if you're in a meeting as opposed to a webinar, um, where the host has the control of sharing the screen, so some software is set up so that anyone can share the screen at any time. Um, and our recommendation is that you, you make it so the host, so someone has to ask for permission to share their screen. The host has to give them permission to share their screen. And then the host can rescind it right away if there's a challenge or something that they don't want. Um, and then make sure the, the biggest thing, and this is probably with every bit of software, is to make sure you're using the latest version because they're always adding security patches to things. And so making sure that you're update. Um, another, just a little thing to think about is um, when whatever software you're using, if they have an app, it's most better to use the app from a security standpoint um, so that, because then it, you do have end-to-end -end, uh, encryption. Um, if it drops off, so if you, I mean, in most of them have it for your cell phone, um, but if you have a dial-in and someone dials in, the, the, that loses then that secure link from wherever the, the host uh, dial-in system is at. Um, so these are some of the, the things that, you know, best practices, security things, um, if there's any questions about these, we can certainly, you can send them to us. You can answer them now or answer, ask them now and we'll try to get them answered. So that's sort of my little two minute spill on that. Although I know it was more than two minutes. <laughs> awesome. Um, I know we have a couple of questions that are, there's some people typing. So we'll let those come in through the system here. Um, while we're waiting here though, Shannon, do you want to talk a little bit about one of the questions we had in the last webinar was email frequency. So, People are curious about how often they should be reaching out, how much is too annoying. Uh, maybe we can share a little bit about that from your experience and then also just things that you've seen in the industry. Actually, George has got that covered. Okay. George. Oh, thank you. Sure. Um, I, I think Shannon will agree. That's probably the question, one of the questions she gets asked most often. Yes. Um, what, and what do you tell people, Shannon? I tell them, I don't think there's, I think more communication is better, but the content needs to be compelling. Yes, that's very true. Um, you know, there's tons of research out there and a lot of it contradicts other research. So you really don't know until you do your own testing. Uh, because it's not just the frequency alone, there's the, that quality of the content that's a factor. That's a, a qualitative one, which is a little harder to measure. So there again, it, um, it's kind of, um, you really have to keep your eye on what you're doing. Uh, however, in a, uh, some recent research, this was uh, from CoSchedule, where they did an analysis of 20 different email studies. Um, when they asked customers how often they want mail, um, the two highest were at least monthly and at least weekly. 
And I think the rule of thumb from the research was is that in uh, B2B, uh, one to as many as five times a month, I would say either once monthly to weekly. Um, B2C can be a little bit more than that. Um, of course, you know, if it's just a strictly a sales message, then that's, you know, once a month may be too much. Uh, and there's, you know, some companies that um, have played around, have, have really gotten, been able to tweak their uh, <clears throat> open rates, <clears throat> excuse me, um, dramatically just by varying the frequency, uh, finding that optimum for their particular industry and their particular messaging. So um, most people I think are either afraid because they think that people are getting their emails too much. Well, honestly, in the C email, you're not going to get noticed most of the time. A uh, good target open rate would be 30%. If you can get 30%, that means your <clears throat> list is fairly targeted and your quality, your subject line, your quality is good. If it's below that, uh, especially if it's a lot below, you have to look at is, is this the right list of people? Are they interested in what I'm doing or am I just not interesting at all? Um, any thoughts from anybody else on that? Sure, I think um, just from the things we've seen too, that a lot of the research is showing that it can take sometimes up to 12 touches just to even get a response from people. So I think you think about a normal react, you know, would you just cold call somebody 12 times in a row to get a pickup? A lot of times, no, but like you said, you're fighting that sea of the inbox that comes through. So I think just from the things we've seen, if, as long as things are relevant and you're, you're being respectful of someone's time, you're not getting the, you know, 20 emails at one time, it's spaced out over time. I think it kind of helps build that rapport a little bit more and kind of gives you just a different, a different way to um, continue to educate or warm people up a little bit to what you're trying to say. Cause a lot of times, especially now, email is a pretty inexpensive way to do that. If you have an existing list that you're trying to stay in front of, and especially right now, if people can't physically come into your business, um, sometimes that's your only lifeline to get direct contact to these people. So um, it's kind of an interesting time. I think you just can't, you have to be careful to not operate from a place of fear. And it's, it's timing is everything. And they may not see the first three to five emails that you send. And so if your content is good, you know who you're talking to and you've got a good message. There's nothing wrong with sending it and, and reaching out multiple times. And when the stars align, it'll be there. And if it gets to a, an unsubscribe situation that it wasn't meant to be, let it go and move on to the next. And that's okay. It can't be, I don't want to irritate them or I'm bothering them. Look, if, if you've got something good to say, a good piece of intel to offer them or an insight about their business, they're going to want to talk to you eventually. Well, and I think people underestimate the number of touches it takes really uh, before people will, especially colder uh, prospects, will talk to you. Uh, you know, sometimes eight to 12 touches, depending on the, uh, what it is in, in the business. And that's not just email, that could be touching in, in multiple different channels. But uh, it, consistency is, I think, one of the most important things is just sustaining that over a period of time. Sure. Yeah, and I think it's interesting too, a lot of folks now they're, if they weren't content marketing before, now they might be considering it just because the given state of the situation. So um, I think that's kind of an interesting piece outside of just email, whether it's social media or putting out free trainings or workshops or whatever the, whatever their business or service does to try and just add value in a virtual sense. So, okay, let's see here. I'm just gonna check and see if we had any more questions in the Q and A. Um, and again, we want to just tailor this completely to our live audience. So if anybody's here that has questions, feel free to send them in the, in the Q&A or drop them in the chat box. And we're happy to answer anything regarding connecting with your customer. So let's see here. Those were the main, main points. Mark, did you want to touch base just a little bit more on some of the best practices for virtual meetings? If so, I know you mentioned the hardware <coughs> and some of the things, but if somebody's looking to get started and maybe they're fearful of some of the things that you had mentioned, what are some, some rousing words for those folks that are trying to do virtual meetings and use it for their business? Experiment. Um, do it with your internal audience. Um, get feedback. Uh, if you have close customers, um, people that you have a really good relationship, work with them, have them um, 
do your experimentation um, internally, then gradually add people until you have the confidence. Um, it's pretty amazing that, you know, you can do most of it with a cell phone now. Um, if you need to have a little bit um, higher end or more focused, um, you know, there's a, a number of ways to accomplish that. Uh, we do uh, virtual meetings, virtual demonstrations, um, you know, but we're bringing in uh, professional cameras, um, uh, professional audio, so that uh, the whole production element is, is at, a, at a very high level. Um, but you can get a lot done with just your cell phone. Um, and, you know, this with the cell phone to one of the meeting apps would allow you to do that, do a webinar um, to your group. Um, and then, you know, as you progress, you may want to add to the feature set that you're doing, which would involve maybe a little bit higher end production value to it, being able to uh, not only have um, be the live video, but be able to incorporate your um, a, a slide deck of some sort or videos that would play. Um, allow people to do the uh, two-way Q&A if you have the, the audience has the ability and you want to open it up to that. So um, recommendation is always experiment, start small, get comfortable with it, feel confident that you're going to deliver because then you'll do a much better job delivering um, to your audience. You know, the other, thing, the other thing that I want to add, we got some feedback um, from last week about um, and this is from a company that was based in Torrance, California, about how nice it was to meet some of the applied art team and it, how it's just a casual, uh, informative environment. And I think this, this pandemic, short-term pandemic, I'm going to start saying from now on, because I just don't want to believe it's going to last forever, um, has kind of humanized all of us where you know, I've had to let my dog out twice. Somebody's got allergies. We're just people. This is just kind of how the conversation should be. This is how we should be talking to each other all the time. So while it's unique and different, realize that nobody is expecting um, perfect lighting and to go uninterrupted. And I was laughing before you, the live audience joined us because my neighbors decided to cut his tree down and I was hoping that I would be able to mute enough so that y'all wouldn't hear that. So I think that just, just keep all of that in mind. We're just people trying to make the best of this. And, and uh, actually, I think it's, it's, it's better for all of us to just relate a little more casually. We're all in the same boat. Absolutely. Uh, it, it makes us all a little bit more human. Um, it, it shows, you know, that, I mean, last weekend I had, or last, at our last one, I had someone come ring the doorbell. And, you know, I, who would have expected that this day and age that someone would come during the middle of the day and ring a doorknob or doorbell? Um, so for seems sure. a question. Yep. Yep. So we have one that a question just came in. So, um, do you foresee the situation changing B2B communications in the long term? Um, could virtual meetings and video conferencing become the new normal? And it's a very interesting question, especially with where we've been, like we've been using video conferencing tools for years, but a lot of folks are kind of getting dragged into this because now they have to do it. You know, it's one of those things. So, um, Mark, yeah, do you have and, some input on that? Yeah, you know, I think, I think in the short term, um, it definitely is the, the new normal. I mean, you can see that by just the stats. I mean, Zoom alone, just one company in the span of one month um, went from 20 million to 200 million customers. Um, I mean, that's just mind boggling to me. And I do think um, it's going to be at least the first series of steps um, in instead of having face-to-face -face meetings, I think we're gonna have more virtual meetings through the first steps of, of the, the communication. Um, it, it allows you to have the, the connection, um, but it's not, you, you're not having the cost of, of doing the face-to-face. -face. Now, you know, that's different if we're in the same town, um, but if we're not in the same town or even in the same state, I think you'll see a lot more of these. Um, I read an article the other day about how, um, People are anticipating that handshaking may very well go away in the near future. And that doesn't surprise me at all. And I really think, yeah, fist bump, elbow bump, whatever it is. So awkward. But anyway, no. Anyway, I, I do. I think this could, I think companies that were uncomfortable 
or had trust issues with people working from home have adapted to realize that that can be done efficiently um, and that virtual meetings are number one pretty convenient for you know if you've got if you've got sick kids or you've got a weird schedule life can go on and we're learning to navigate that and i and i think i feel like at least our company we've done it tremendously well because everybody's you know still doing what they need to do um so i i think it could be this way moving forward yeah i think you'll see a lot more only because people are forced to be comfortable with it now mm -hmm. you know people that didn't do it before it's like yeah it's not a big deal let's just go have a let's go have a meeting Sure. And I think it's interesting too, we were talking about this <clears throat> off broadcast earlier, how um, it is almost, it's, it's better with the, I know a lot of people are fearful of putting their webcam on or showing their face, you know, they just want to call in like a phone call, which is fine. But, but I really think this, this face-to-face -face element really does keep it more connected, you know, because if you're disconnected from your workforce for months and months or weeks and weeks or however long this takes, um, it can kind of make you feel a little less connected from the team. But even this morning, we had our call with our 16 people on Zoom. There's all the little tiles and stuff, but you can still see people. And I think that's a really good element, even if it's just for five minutes a day or 10 minutes or whatever it is, just to kind of keep that human element to it and keep it, you know, engaging still. So it's not just phone calls and emails. It's, it's more connected. You can see who you're working with. So, you know, um, Tom Woody's asked an interesting question as well. Oh, sure. Yeah, so Tom asks, do you feel that virtual meetings will replace live events? And how do you think the events industry will bounce back from the pandemic? Well, Mark does a lot of in-person live events. So Mark, why don't you take this one? Um, yeah, I, I, I don't think it will replace live events. Um, well, let me rephrase. I think it will play, replace some live events. I don't think it will replace all live events. I still think there's a tremendous value in a trade show or an event because there's very little times when you will have the ability to look look at potential customer or you know competitor a b and c and evaluate them right then and there and go back in between so i i, I truly don't think that live events um will be replaced by this now that being said i think that some of the live events may um, be smaller um you know, we do, and there's some things that are, are more practical to be done this way. Um, in, in, especially if you have large, extremely large, difficult equipment to set up, um, and, or sometimes you, can't, you cannot set them up. Um, we did work with a company that, that they could not, at, at the trade show floor, they could not set up one of their large machines. So we just did a, uh, had a production crew in their integration center. We had the, we were in at the trade show. People had two-way communication. I think we'll start seeing this type of technology adapted to make better presentations to, to people in live events. Um, in regards to, do I think that the industry will come back? I do think the industry will come back. I think we'll probably see a ramp up. Um, I guess it's going to be follow, you know, 2001, 2008, when we had the, you know, the 9-11, uh, and then when we had the, um, the, the, the economic crisis. Um, it took a while for that industry to come back, but it, it came back, it came back hardier than it was. Um, and I think that we'll see that again. Sure. Um, <clears throat> I see that Tom's uh, live on here now. Yeah, Tom, um, if, if you have a mic, feel free. I'm going to unmute you if you wanted to ask any more questions about the live events, maybe how it's relating to, to yourself. Well, and I'd like to get Tom's opinion, too, because obviously you're in the live event business uh, in some ways. Um, I suspect that after this over, uh, it's going to be very competitive for customers, and I think live events are going to uh, play a big part of that. Uh, is that what you're seeing? Yeah, you know, and it's one of the assumptions that I've, made that uh, we're going to be seeing a lot of markets be impacted, um, the larger ones especially uh, as far as large-scale conventions are going. So one of the things that I'm discussing and looking into further is how a market like Des Moines or Kansas City or Omaha um, might start picking up some of these medium to larger events um, just because a place like McCormick center or McCormick place in Chicago is going to be a hospital for a few months. And so how does that change the landscape of, of live events? But I think 
a lot of people are eager to get back. Uh, a lot of people are eager to get out of their homes even. And uh, I think that it will be one of those things that you can't replace a live event, but uh, we're even seeing, you know, we had a client that we took online uh, entirely and they normally have a pretty good general session, but their attendance tripled in size just because there's a want to get out there. And it's maybe people that aren't able to make it uh, practically to a live event or uh, looking even at international audiences. How can they now start to engage without having to book a flight across the pond? Um, you should probably give a, a little introduction to yourself, Tom, uh, for the people that don't know who you are and who you're with. Yeah, so uh, my name's Tom Woody. I work with Freeman. Uh, I'm based here in Des Moines, but work with clients around the, the region and around the country. And Freeman uh, does events and exhibits and a lot of stuff, actually. Yep, anything you... from live events to trade show expos to now a whole lot of digital virtual. Are, are you, yeah, I was gonna ask, what are you seeing in the digital virtual um, trade show and event space? Uh, so a lot, there's definitely a lot of interest. It's one of those things that I think a lot of people have been skeptical about how do I, I do a virtual event without cannibalizing my audience. And now you don't have to worry about it. You just have to worry about getting people in general. So I think this is going to really shape the landscape of virtual events moving forward, or at least having a virtual element to your live event. Again, like I said, I don't think it's going to replace in-person live events, but I think it's going to uh, keep that conversation going of how do I bring more people to my event, um, even if it's not not live. Yeah, um, and I think, and then like you said, I think throwing in a virtual with a traditional um, will make a huge impact. Uh, one of the, the show that we just finished, um, Con Expo, uh, we did Facebook Live stuff. We did it uh, two times a day, the, not the first day, but the second and third and fourth day. And we were having audiences in the uh, four to 7,000 people, um, which if, that is a big show, but it, 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 like you said, it allows people to come to the show without having to physically be there. Um, and I think we're gonna, in the next Con Expo, we'll just, we're gonna continue to expand upon that to try to give them a little bit more of the experience than just taking people through the booth, like being able to schedule and have subject matter experts so that they can have communication with them. Um, yeah, I think we're going to see a lot more of that integrated into an event package. Well, I think additionally, um, from the exposition side, uh, if you're going to a live event, likely you're, you're extroverted like myself and you're going to shop around, you're going to talk with folks. Um, but especially if you're going to an industry expo, you're going to shop around for your business, find a product that, or a solution that is useful to you in your day to day. And I think it's going to allow people in these various industries who may be slightly more introverted to be able to connect with people. We're talking about taking expos online and how we can still work networking in and how you can go to a page and then set a, a meeting and schedule a meeting right there uh, virtually with somebody or even having virtual uh, expo hours where somebody's just sitting there live and or a couple people and you just kind of click to learn more and you're in a room like this talking with talking with folks about your products. So I think for brands and, and people that are pushing these products out there, um, there's really a lot of opportunity as well. And, uh, and potential cost savings too, you know, yes. for, for some, some such scenarios. Yeah, especially just from a attendee standpoint too. Just I think the personal won't go, ne will never go away, just because the networking that you can have at these events, even if it's not an exhibit or something, just the face-to-face -face interaction. There's a lot of things you can't facilitate uh, naturally, so that's kind of a, a good part that I think won't won't fall off of the the industry. Right, so. and I would say you know, and I don't want to cannibalize your guys' uh, <laughs> event here, but uh, another thing that we're seeing and conversations that we're having are. You know, these virtual events are highly sponsorable. You're creating uh -huh. a microsite or you're creating breakout sessions. And 
right now your typical sponsor is really wanting to engage with their people because they don't have the the outlet that they used to at your at your show or your event so you know it's there's a lot of people that are scaling back but a lot of sponsors we're seeing are wanting to come on board because they don't have that opportunity to engage these people and get their name out there uh, and they don't want to miss out on it so people are actively looking for this opportunity and you know it's great for a lot of associations and uh, people who host different kind of expos or events like this because they can help cover all nearly all of the costs of their event to go online just by getting sponsorable content out there for sure awesome well we're coming up on time so tom we're gonna we're gonna put you back down to attendee so sorry yeah. about that thank you tom for coming yeah, on thank and, you and sharing Thanks, that tom. good to see you again yeah and we will put you back to attendee. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. And, well, and I, before we quit, I, I think it's good to say, so here was a webinar. We had someone who had vested interest in the industry and had a question that we were involved in. We were able to provoke them from an attendee to a panelist so that they could share. And then we were able to push them back down to be an attendee. So it's a good way for you have control of your meeting and your situation. Absolutely. And thanks so much, Tom, for hopping on last minute. I just clicked a button and hopefully he was ready to talk. So thanks for being uh, yeah. willing to that chat. Was that planned? That was that yes. was totally just yes. spontaneous. You know, there's another rule: always go dressed to these. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, okay. Well, I think we're coming in on time. Thank you guys so much again for everybody's time, uh, just to learn more about this and and listen to us kind of talk a little bit more and share share with you guys. So. Um, if you, if this is your first time here, thanks again for coming. We're planning on doing these more regularly every week, just trying to keep you guys updated with some different information. So if we didn't get to any of your questions today, or you're kind of camera shy or did not want to drop anything in the comment section, feel free to drop those in the uh, Q and A and, and, or email them to us at ideas at applied art.com. And we will make sure to include them in the next broadcast or send you an email directly and answer those questions for you. So again, thanks so much for everybody for coming on and uh, we appreciate the time and the effort that you guys are putting in here. So happy Good Friday and happy Easter everybody. Yes. Stay safe.